1: Welcome to this meeting hosted by Socialist Appeal. We've put on this meeting to try and process the events that have taken place over the last few days. Last Sunday on the 8th, we actually had a meeting on the origins of women's oppression. And this week, the reality of that oppression has been laid bare for everyone to see. We've witnessed an example of the most horrific and dark expression of the misogyny that runs deep throughout society in the case of Sarah Everard. And I think this has struck a chord with all women because we've seen our worst fears play out following her case, first as a missing woman, a missing woman, and then tragically confirmed to have died. this evening we want to talk more about how this case has helped shine a light on how systemic this problem is because unfortunately we know that this is something that happens all the time. Two women a week are killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales alone and around the world the statistic gets even higher. I think it's vital that we understand how and why this comes to be if we're going to be able to fight it. So I'm really pleased that this evening we're going to be hearing from um, two amazing speakers. We're hearing first from Natasha Sorrell, who is an NEU member, an activist and writer for Socialist Appeal. And then we're also going to hear from Karen Campos, who's from Izquierda Socialista, which is the Mexican section of the International Marxist Tendency, the IMT, which is heavily involved in campaigning on this issue of violence against women. So I'm going to hand over now to Natasha to introduce um, the start of this meeting. So, Natasha, when you're ready.
2: Thanks, Fiona, Um, and thanks to everyone for coming along to this meeting. Um, We are, of course, here tonight discussing um, the fact that last week, a young woman was walking home from a friend's house. Um, It was late at night, it was dark, but that's not something that's that typically unusual. It's something that you would think anybody can do. But tragically, on the 3rd of March, Sarah Everett disappeared on this walk. She was walking through a very highly populated, brightly lit area. Um, You know, it was a well-walked path that she was going along, and yet she was kidnapped and she was murdered. And she was murdered by a serving police officer who has now, you know, since been uh, charged with her murder. And the situation is distressing, of course, but in addition, um, only three days before Sarah's disappearance, that same officer was accused of indecently exposing himself in public. Um, And and despite that, when he was arrested on the 9th of March for service murder, he was still working his day-to-day job in the Met. And what I think this um, entire experience exposes is, is first of all, the threat um, that women face in our society. But it also exposes that the police will always protect their own uh, before they're going to protect the public. And the response to this has been an absolute deluge of, of firstly anger, um, but also of women speaking out about their own experiences of, of fear, uh, violence and oppression. And I think it really you know, has um, kind of connected in a very meaningful way. We, we've seen a real outpouring, as I said, and this is because this fear um, that this could happen to any woman is present in all women. All women are, are very... You women know, are aware of the fact that this could have been them, um, and the fear and anger, and, and just how fed up women are at this position in society. It's never really not been there. It's always bubbling away under the surface, and, and women may talk about it from time to time. Um, but this instance has triggered an opportunity. It's created space, if you like, you know, for women to to talk about this very publicly. And what it's doing is it's serving to expose how widespread. Um, this violence and this fear of violence really is amongst women. Just to give some examples of things that people have been sharing, you know, things that we take for granted that we do every day, sharing locations um, when people go for runs or for walks late in the evening, uh, texting to say that you're home or asking, like, are you home safely? People carrying keys between their fingers. Um, and then, of course, we've had the, the, the um, sharing of experiences of actual physical violence that women have experienced as well. And whilst it is true that the um, abduction of a woman off the street in this way is more rare, actually the wider picture that's being exposed here is is very important. We've seen the same, you know, in the same week, the release of that report that showed 97% of women aged 18 to 24 had experienced sexual harassment. Um, In their lifetime, one in three women will experience domestic violence, and the number of women killed by a partner or an ex-partner has risen by over a third in the last year alone. And so Sarah's murder really has, like I say, opened up this space for women to talk about these experiences, to talk about the things that they deal with every day, and and really importantly, to generalise that experience. It's drawing together um, the experiences of women in solidarity, and it's exposing the extent, how widespread and how commonplace this problem is, bringing it back into the spotlight. And we've seen, you know, in responses, many vigils around the country, thousands of people have been involved in them. But most notably is the one that happened on Saturday that I want to focus on at Clapham Common, where hundreds, if not thousands, of women um, joined to to have this vigil. But the the vigil wasn't just to, um, you know, it wasn't just a vigil, it wasn't just about mourning. It was actually also a protest um, against the daily violence and oppression and unsafe conditions that women are facing every single day under capitalism. Now as we know the official vigil was actually called off earlier in the day um, after the organisers said that the police force had failed to you know constructively engage and how that this could be held in a COVID safe way but essentially what's happened here is um, the police had intimidated the vigil's organisers into cancelling the event threatening them with the £10,000 fine for organising the the vigil itself um, under the pretense of this breaching COVID rules Um, but nevertheless people ignored it and they went anyway Um, And what then ensued was absolutely disgusting mistreatment of the women at the protest by the police, manhandling of them, incredibly rough treatments, slamming them to the floor, trampling the flowers that had been um, laid down to commemorate Sarah. Now, the police's response to this was very rough, very manhandled, as I said. And in the process, they arrested, um, I think it's about four people uh, that's been reported. And they've stated that this was to protect people's safety. But there's such hypocrisy in their actions here. You know, we've been told for months now that it's okay to continue going to work in packed workplaces um, whilst bosses have kept unnecessary places open. Workers have been traveling to their places of work on packed public transport. um, And, you know, teachers have been teaching classes of 30 pupils. All of this is COVID secure, apparently, but a socially distanced mask wearing vigil is not. And again, this is exposing those real interests of the police um, and their actions in this protest. Now, in contradiction, the protesters um, were holding signs that that you know showed they did not believe that this was a system that the police were here to protect them or that they had their interest at heart. We've seen the protest signs that read things like "Killed by the system we're told to protect us." Now women know all too well that the police are not there to protect them. There's this institutional misogyny that exists within the police, um, and because of that, we cannot trust them to protect women. And I wanted to just um, you know take a moment to look at a few examples of the role that the police have played. Um, protecting women against sexual violence historically. One, uh, you know, I'm based in Sheffield, one quite close to here is the situation of, um, you know, the abuse, the systematic abuse faced by girls in Rotherham over a matter of decades that was brought to light in the 2000s. Um, and what came, became quite clear through that case was that women had, the young women had tried to report uh, what was happening to the police and their concerns had been entirely dismissed and this abuse went on for decades as a consequence. Um, they, the police dismissed them because they were working class, because they didn't think that they were trustworthy that they didn't want to bother with them Um, and that contempt that they have um, for women and the working class I think is borne out in that in that example Um, but not believing um, victims that their situation was made worse as a consequence of the actions of the police they were not protected in fact the opposite happened I think we can also point to the role that the police played um, in their infiltration of the environment movements again in the 2000s, where they duped women into marrying them, essentially raping them, having children with them, destroying their whole lives for the advancement of the state over the environmental movement. This is an absolutely shocking, disgusting use of of this institution um, and that, that particularly had a negative impact upon women. And more recently, um, we can discuss the murders of Nicole Smallman um, and Beaver Henry. Again, this, this, uh, their murders demonstrate the contempt of the police towards women, in particular towards black women, with allegations having been made um, against the police involved in their arrest, of them having taken selfies with their, um, with their bodies. And and this once again demonstrates this, not just a lack of care, but an utter disrespect and contempt from the police towards victims, towards women and specifically towards black women. And actually we should connect this struggle um, with the struggle against racism more broadly. You know, the role that the police play is not one of protecting the black community. When we know that stop and search is nine times higher um, uh, used against black people, we know that there is racial profiling used by the police, we know the horrendously aggressive treatment of black people who have been stopped and arrested that's been well documented throughout this year just alone. Um, The role of the police clearly is not to protect people in these instances. And so for both the women's movement and the fight against racism, more police is not the answer. And we know and must talk about the fact that actually the uh, the police are an arm of the state. They are not here to protect the working class, but to protect capital from the working class. And it's therefore no surprise, but nevertheless shocking for many to see, this horrific crime committed, first of all, you know, by the police officer and then the consequent actions of the police in the vigils that have been held since. And we see the class priorities of the police um, and of the state played out in this vigil that was held in London on Saturday evening. And actually, this, this point about class is very important, because class priorities do come before everything else. Despite the fact that Christina Dick is a woman, um, you know, it was under her directions that this, the, the police carried out these brutal attacks on the protest. Um And British Patel, again, another woman, has also shown her priorities to the capitalist state in condemning the vigil um, and, the, and, and the actions she's taken since. And so it's not women in positions of power who are going to change things. They have that power. They're not doing anything with it. But more importantly, they're not able able to under capitalism um. We've also seen a response from you know, the political parties that I think is worth mentioning. Um, you know, The response from the Labour Party has been to condemn what's happened, but in, in doing so, they've called for more police. Um, they've also been opposing the recent police crime bill that would seek to restrict protests even further, but this was after the attack on Sarah, clearly showing a flip-flop that was only triggered after this tragic event happened. Um, and I, again, I think exposing that, that that's not really holding working people's interests, and certainly not women's pe- interests at heart there, um, furthermore, we've seen calls today from the Tory Party to have, um, you know, an increased presence of plainclothes police officers in, in nightclubs. Um, but when it's the police um, who women, especially black women, as well should fear, um, this this should come as no and does not come as any reassurance, um, but actually as a greater threat to people. It's definitely not the answer. But what is the answer? Well. <coughs> As capitalism goes into crisis, actually, it's working women who we're seeing suffer the most. Um, We've seen this demonstrated by a really sharp rise in unemployment in Britain and around the rest of the world, um, more precarious work for women and and low-paid, unstable work. We've seen a huge rise in domestic abuse and also in the domestic tasks carried out by women in the home as well. Furthermore, we've seen an attack on reproductive rights around the world, and decades of progress really is being being snatched back, and and totally undone in a year. And those things cannot be redone very quickly because they were hard-won in the first place. So clearly the fight and the the kind of, the reforms and the rights that we have won over the years that have been so hard fought for are not solid, they're not strong, actually they're quite fragile and they're only able to last under capitalism whilst the economy is not in crisis. Now, the oppression that women face is not part of some kind of natural hierarchy. It's actually a product of class society. And capitalism, every single day, benefits from the exploitation and the oppression of women. For capitalism... Women play a really important role in the economy as cheap labour. Have been able to do these, um, you know, smaller part-time jobs that are less stable. Um, they provide domestic work, and it can use women's bodies as a method of advertisement to sell things to cr- increase profits. And, and it's from this systematic basis that all other symptoms of oppression arise um, against women from this from this basis, this position that they hold in society. And therefore, the answer to solving this question is that we have to remove the material basis for women's oppression and the vile symptoms of violence and sexual violence that stem from it. And that requires the complete destruction of the capitalist system. We cannot have women free from oppression under capitalism. Capitalism is an unreformable system, and we cannot make women safe within that. Um, the attacks and the clawing back of reforms that we've seen recently are really just the beginning as well, um, you know, as, as the ruling class attempt to prop up this, this very rotten system that is capitalism there will be more attacks on women's rights as there will be more attacks on workers rights more um, more generally you know And now we know um, that under capitalism, women are trapped in relationships and family situations. They're trapped there because um, it's economically unviable for them to to, to leave or to move out of those situations. And we also know that a lot of domestic violence, a a very large majority, um, I've seen in in quite a few statistics now, a lot of that domestic violence is actually triggered by difficult financial situations. Both of these are massive causes of domestic violence or just violence generally against women um, that create an unsafe society for women to live in, but problems that do not need to exist because there are more than enough resources to properly, safely feed people, house them and clothe them. Um, but the trouble is, of course, we cannot access those resources whilst they are privately owned. So what happened um, with Sarah Everett is something that every woman lives in fear of. This is a characteristic of society for women, and it's not the first time that this has happened. And of course, tragically, it will not be the last time that this has happened. Obviously, women shouldn't have to live like this, and, and women have had enough. It's frankly appalling how widespread the violence against women is, and their fear of that violence is within society. What is very clear in all of this, I think, is that the whole system is rotten and we, we need a revolution to bring down this really vile degenerate system that's been shown very clearly, more clearly in the last year, I think, as well, to, to not care one bit for workers' health or, or for their lives. Instead, it's prioritized profit above absolutely everything else. So if we want to end the constant fear that women, women live in and if we want to create a society that, that's free from oppression moving forward and free from the exploitation for women, and for all workers, obviously, um, we have to fight to overthrow capitalism. We've got to educate ourselves in where this oppression arises from, in the origins of that oppression. Um, and that, of course, means studying the, and, and, and educating ourselves in the origins of class society. And this, by doing this, we can understand that how something arose, how it's developed, and how we are therefore going to get rid of it, how we're going to remove this scourge from our society. But we need to do more than just educate ourselves, of course. We need to organise, because... The capitalist state is highly organised. It has multiple wings that are highly organised, not least the police, the government and the media. We need to organise against that. But what's really essential, I think, is that we cannot free women from oppression without fighting to end capitalism. But significantly, we can't end capitalism without fighting uh, for the freedom of women. These two fights are inherently twined, but in ending one, we can end the other, and that is the task that's before us.
1: Thank you so much for that, um, Natasha. I think you really um, powerfully showed, yeah, the link between women's liberation and the need to. Um the need to end capitalism and the points you made about capitalism being a vile degenerate system as well of course that will distort the relationship that, that exists between men and women and so ultimately we're going to have to uproot the whole thing if we're going to have a chance at creating harmonious relationships that are based um, well not based on the competition and the scarcity um, and, the, and the yeah the problems that capitalism brings us. So next, I'm going to introduce Karen, um, who, as I said earlier, is um, from Izquierda Socialista, the Mexican section of the IMT, and she's also part of the Women's Revolutionary League, who's going to talk about the situation um, in in Mexico. So Karen, when you're ready. Thank you, Fiona. Um,
3: Well, I'm going to talk about uh, the violence against women in, in my country. And, and this is a really big problem for, for us. Uh, well, Mexico is a, uh, is a country that uh, has been uh, swept by a wave of, of violence. Uh, the news of uh, murders, disappearance, uh, shootings, etc. have uh, become uh, very common for us. Uh, this uh, daily news can't uh, surprise us anymore because uh, we have assumed this like, um, like our uh, daily reality. Uh, And well, uh, this uh, wave of of violence has mainly uh, affected the most uh, vulnerable sectors of the population. Uh, And women are uh, facing uh, right now the consequences of another epidemic, uh, the epidemic of uh, violence and femicides. Uh, Well, let's see some uh, some figures. Uh, Last year, uh, 967 femicides were uh, registered. Um also uh, 16,545 uh, rape uh, crimes uh, has uh, committed. Uh, six sexual crimes uh, are reported every day, every hour, sorry. Uh, and according to uh, the figures of the executive uh, secretariat of the national public uh, security system, on average, 10.3 women are murdered daily. Uh, and less than uh, 30% of that uh, total are investigated as femicide and more than half remain unpunished. Uh, only uh, the 5% of the complaints of sexual assault are, or abuse end with a judicial convi- conviction. And uh, also the numbers are, uh, are increasing because uh, not even the pandemic uh, has been able to stop the, uh, the femicide uh, wave and, and, and all the violence against women in, in, in Mexico. Uh, Well, also these uh, figures make uh, Mexico the country with the highest rate of femicides in Latin America. And uh, according to the United Nations data, at least 6 out of 10 Mexican women have uh, faced an uh, incident of violence uh, at some time in in their lives. Also, uh, 4 out of 10 uh, 18-year-older women have uh, suffered some type of sexual violence. And in Mexico, the impunity rate of sexual crimes is uh, higher than uh, 90%. Well, in, in addition to the violence issue, we have other evidence of women oppression, which sentenced them to a dependence and submission situation. Mexico also has the largest wage gap in Latin America, with a difference of 16%, which means that Mexican women must work 35 days more during the year to equal a man's salary. Uh, added to these uh, figures indicate that uh, women uh, dedicate up to uh, 42.8 uh, hours per month to domestic work. So, uh, as we can see, uh, violence and inequality are a uh, part of the daily uh, reality of Mexican women. Uh, every day we go out to, uh, to the streets without uh, the certainty of uh, returning home alive. So, uh, there are uh, plenty of reasons to, uh, to take the streets. Um, uh, and we have to take the straight since uh, it is uh, this system and it's a bourgeois state who uh, originate uh, the, uh, the violence uh, through the extreme inequality and social uh, decomposition inherent to capitalism. Which causes that uh, the, the Mexican state with uh, López Obrador as president uh, has been uh, unable to offer a real solution to this uh, deep problem. At this point, it uh, it has uh, only been able to offer a protest, criminalization, and allegations of infiltration of the movement to downplay the tremendous wave of violence against women uh, that uh, that covers every corner uh, of this country. Well, also during uh, the pandemic, the conditions of of women in Mexico have uh, worsened. Uh, Due to the lockdown, violence has increased. During 2020, uh, more than uh, 260,000 calls related to violence against women uh, were made to the emergency numbers, which represents an increase of um, 60%. Uh, women are forced to stay with their aggressors uh, 24 hours, 7 days uh, a week, due to the economic dependence, dependence on men. In addition, in addition to, uh, to the violence, uh, host uh, work and uh, childcare have increased too, uh, and also uh, women are the second uh, have uh, been positively uh, affected uh, by the pandemic. Uh, according to uh, to figures from the National Institute of Statistics and Geography, between uh, April and August uh, 2020, 3.2 million women uh, lost their jobs. Uh, that represents a uh, 64% of women who had a formal job in Mexico. So, uh, the gender gap in jobs uh, loss uh, due to the crisis uh, has been much uh, uh, greater in Mexico than in six other uh, Latin American nations, analyzed by the Inter-American uh, Development Bank. Um, well, this is an uh, unbearable situation which has uh, awakened a, uh, a powerful women's uh, movement uh, in, in in my country, in Mexico, which um, which has uh, repeatedly uh, taken to the streets in massive protests against uh, violence and femicides. Uh, violence against uh, women uh, has uh, permeated pra- practically in all places, including uh, those that uh, regard them as uh, safe spaces. Uh, femicides and rapes have uh, taken place within the premises of two of the most important universities in the country, such as the uh, National Autonomous University of Mexico and uh, the National uh, Polytechnic Institute. Well. Um, with these uh, figures, uh, we can uh, see that uh, despite the, uh, the pandemic and the, and the lockdown, uh, the women's movement uh, hasn't stopped uh, because uh, our living conditions are uh, increasingly precarious and uh, we are no longer uh, willing to remain quiet at the oppression that we suffer daily. So uh, 2020 it was marked by, uh, by great um, struggles of women on, uh, for example, on March eighth on the International Working Women's Day, uh, official figures indicate that uh, 80,000 women attended the, uh, the demonstration, but uh, there were around uh, 250,000 women in the streets of Mexico City, the uh, the slogan, we want each other alive, free and without fear, not one less. Uh, And also, uh, um, uh, similar demonstrations um, take place in different states uh, uh, in in Mexico. Uh, So, uh, all this movement is uh, displaying a great strength. Uh, Well, uh, the uh, the women's movement has uh, made some uh, achievements, such as the adoption of some uh, laws such as um, Olympia law against uh, digital violence, which punish up to uh, six years in prison who spread sexual uh, content against women in internet platforms or social networks. Also, uh, the Ingrid law uh, that uh, punish with uh, penalties of three to six years in prison for uh, those who disseminate uh, images of victims of femicide. So these laws are uh, the result of the of the struggle and mobilization of of women, and the name of the laws is in honor to uh, two uh, victims of these uh, crimes. So uh, these are uh, small steps, but uh, we know that uh, that laws uh, will not uh, solve the problem of violence because it is uh, rooted in the in the social and economic basis of the capitalist capitalist system. But uh, they will help us to to show to the movement that it is not only Laos that we need, uh, but a radical transformation of, of society. That's what uh, what we need. So uh, in this uh, last uh, period, it has uh, become clear uh, to us uh, that um or places in the streets, organizing demonstrations for our basic uh, rights, organizing uh, ourselves in in our workplaces for uh, better working uh, conditions and wage, um, to obtain quality uh, nurseries, uh, laundries, community kitchens that free us uh, from the domestic work, uh, fighting to generate security committees in our uh, neighborhoods that uh, allow us to travel safely, uh, creating spaces where, uh, where every uh, assaulted woman can take a uh, shelter away from her aggressor, uh, and all, uh, all of this uh, with the collective and democratic organization of our class. As uh, socialist uh, women, uh, we call from Mexico to all women in the world to vindicate the class struggle, to use the ideas of Marxism as, as a struggle method, uh, to continue on fight back in, in conjunction with uh, all exploited sectors, because uh, regardless of mm-hmm. our gender, race, religion, sexual preference, we have more in common as a class. Uh, so uh, let's fight together for the emancipation of women. Let's fight together for the emancipation of the of the working class. Let let's, let's uh, move towards uh, to the destruction of the capitalist system, uh, and only uh, the socialist revolution led by the working class can eliminate forever all the material bas- bases uh, that provoke violence against women. So um, from La Izquierda Socialista, the Mexican uh, section of the international Marxist tendency, we organize and fight uh, to combat this uh, system of injustice, inequality, and barbarism. Uh, So uh, we raise our our voices uh, demanding justice for all women who have been victims of femicide in Mexico. And we continue to demand justice for uh, Sara Vigail and Alexis, uh, colleagues uh, awfully close to our organization, who were uh, brutally Murder, and now uh, we join with uh, with you demanding justice for uh, for Sarah Everard. So um, thank you for the invitation and, and receive all our, our support and solidarity from Mexico. So, uh forward comrades, let's fight against the capital violence. Ni una menos, not one less. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Karen. That was really um, moving intervention, and I think you laid out really clearly for us that this is a global struggle, despite the huge number of of femicides that are also taking place in Mexico, what's so inspiring is to hear about the protests that are taking place and about the fight back that that is happening. And it teaches us so much that we know that whether it's in the UK, whether it's in Poland or Argentina or Mexico, there is this global rebellion taking place, women um, all over the world. And in a lot of cases, men are coming out as well with this cause, the fight for women's liberation. Um, Yeah, I'd like to hand back now to Natasha, who's going to just sum up and reply to our discussion. So, Natasha. Thank you. Um,
2: And yeah, really, thank you to everyone who's um, intervened and contributed in the discussion. I think it's been... know really far ranging uh we've talked about a lot of issues and and there's been some really brave contributions as well so just thank you to everyone um i think overall with the contributions what's really been highlighted um with what everybody said is how widespread this problem is um and of course moments happen like this with you know the death of sarah everard uh other instances in the past have happened like this that act as this kind of point around which people really feel that they can rally and, and act as a way for them to express that anger that, of course, is always there under the surface um, and, and, and never really goes away. And I think it's really important that people have highlighted um, the very unsafe conditions that women live in. Um, the fact that women are forced to remain in unsafe conditions because economically there's no alternative. Um, I thought that was really important contributions about that actually, in the role of the state and uh, how little support is actually offered. Um, another really important um, kind of I don't want to say trend because that casualizes it but um, you know sort of area that was brought out was the fact that women are just not believed Um, you know here's a moment where women have this opportunity to explain how widespread this is and what that's bringing to the service I think also is like this happens all the time and yet they're not listened to victims are treated with disrespect they're not um, engaged with and worse than that as many speakers have pointed out um they're made to feel guilty or responsible for the horrendous crimes that happen against them um it's an incredibly unsupportive system that we live in that that, that blames the victims for the for the crimes of the perpetrators um and and i think it was another important point was raised about the fact that despite there being legal equality that is far from the reality for women um of course i'm not just talking about britain here but all over the globe and what really we can draw from this is that we're living in a system that doesn't protect us that isn't trying to protect us and that can you know does not benefit in any way from the protection of women um and so this problem as was rightly pointed out is not is a long ongoing process um this struggle obviously has been going on um for hundreds of years um, if not longer the fight for equality um, and, and for the eradication of oppression and and yet very few you know changes i think systematically have been made of course these reforms have been won and i completely agree with the points that comrade made, comrades were making about these reforms shouldn't be sniffed at they're very important we always fight for reforms that are going to alleviate the suffering of, of women or anybody no matter how small they're incredibly important But the reality is that they just don't do enough. And those reforms are always fragile and they are always clawed back in times of uh, crisis for capitalism. Um, And so this struggle is ongoing. It has a a huge history that we obviously need to understand. Um, There are lots of lessons that we can learn from from looking at that struggle um, in in the past in the way that it was. But I think what's significant about this moment in time is that the setbacks we're discussing, um, they're not temporary, it's not going to go away when lockdown ends, they're not going to be over within a year. It's not like they've taken a year to go, they'll take a year to come back. This is something that's going to take decades to be rerun if we continue in the capitalist system in the the way that we're moving forward because the economy is not going to bounce back immediately, if if at all. We're in a a terminally declining system And and of course, as a consequence, there are gonna be long-term impacts on women which we haven't even begun to feel um, the reality of just yet. You know, longer term things. Comrade's pointing out the fact that the furlough scheme is still ongoing, and the unemployment hasn't really hit women as hard as it is going to yet. Um, the fact that you know greater cuts are to come that will undoubtedly affect the the court system and the justice system. We've already seen the effect of austerity on that, and the the the, the dropping in the amount of available legal aid available for people. Um, and all of this ties into an already downward trajectory of people reporting instances of violence against them another way in which the system not only with the police not only uh, with the government as we pointed out but even with the courts that um the whole system is stacked against getting any kind of justice for women that's not in its um in its interests um, and and so you know These institutions that I'm talking about, the ones that we're taught in school are there to protect us, that Comrades rightly pointed out, we pay for the privilege of their so-called protection, are not in the least interested in protecting us. We've talked in the discussion tonight about the role of the police, um, we've talked about the role of the government, and I think any representatives of capitalism fall into this camp, And, and people were right to point out that we don't have interests in common with those representatives, whether they're male or female, um, if they are supporting the capitalist system, if they are, um, you know, continuing within its um, bounds, um, just because. People are women does not mean that they have the interest of other women at heart doesn't mean that they understand their experiences either. And I'm not talking about, you know, individual experiences, although, of course, they are important to understand that I'm talking about our experiences from a class based perspective. Representatives of capital have the interest of capital at heart. They do not have the interest of the working class in general. Um, So, you know, I think it was Karen that stated this to begin with in her discussion when she said that we have more in common as a class and that's absolutely true. And I think that's really important because this isn't a movement, this isn't um, a moment, this isn't something that's a women's issue kind of movement, if, if, if these issues are fought by women and women alone, then 50% of the people on this planet are not engaged in those struggles and it's shown, you know, they're not going to go anywhere, they're not going to They're not going to move forward. These are issues that affect every single person because everybody is, is raised by people of um, different genders, everybody's raised by men and women in society and our ideas uh, come from them collectively and it's a society that we're fighting for, for the future of everybody, it's in everybody's interest to fight for women's rights. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the kind of the main point of this is then what? What do we do with all that? Um, what do we do when we're faced with these representatives and these institutions that are actively oppressing and, and clawing back reforms and progress that's been made for the women's movement and for, for women more broadly? Well, this is the key, isn't it? This is the question. Um, when we've when when speakers have so clearly explained um, the fact that all of these problems arise from the class-based system and and um, you know from capitalism itself. I thought you know people explained very clearly how it was scarcity that that uh creates many of the issues that women face that creates these symptoms that come from um a kind of uh the, the system and the way that it oppresses and exploits women you know of course that's the basis for this but there's all of those other systems come from capitalism and the scarcity that creates that was that was excellent points to make i think we also need to focus on what we do with that there is a huge amount of righteous anger like so much anger and that's you know, difficult to bear but it's very important that that exists and what we need to do now is we need to we need to collective, collectively uh, take our anger and channel it into something that is going to make a real change, not just a change for a reform for now, not just a, a change that's going to help a few people, but a reform, a massive change, a change so great that it changes the whole fundamental basis of our society so that we're not just fighting these symptoms as they occur time and time again. Um, I think it's very clear that we cannot just educate away uh, these kind of actions, that, that, uh, the, the violence that exists against women. You know, people aren't born and educated into violence. They're not born and educated into these misogynistic viewpoints. They gain those viewpoints through the system in which they live, through their experiences. And so we have to destroy that entire system if we're to create a, a world in which people can be free um I think Lubna said it really well about living with dignity um and and living freely away from violence away from any of the forms of oppression that exist and so channel that anger into fighting against capitalism how do you do that well you must join a revolutionary organization you cannot fight this alone we can't move forward on our own individually join an organization educate yourself in these these experiences that women go through the struggles that have happened in the past the successes the fights that have been successful and um, you know think about how we are going to move forward in this movement together collectively in a revolutionary organization we cannot reform capitalism away we've, we've talked about how fragile reforms can be um, and and they're always hard fought and won by the working class anyway um you know the 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 key thing here is that we have to have a struggle against capitalism that struggle cannot be won solely by women it cannot be done in a single country this is an international struggle by every single member of the working class and that struggle is the struggle to end capitalism and by doing so we end the conditions that breed violence against women we end violence against women forever and we are able to create a society where people can um you know live peaceably one by one beside each other without fear of any of the repercussions that come um from the scarcity and the difficulty that arises through capitalism so that's the task it's a very large task um, and we need to work together with this so i would implore you you know don't just be angry on your own get involved get active join our organization and help us to overthrow this system that's created such abhorrent categories and conditions for women worldwide it's the only thing that we can do that will make a meaningful change comrades
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marxist Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider or visit our website at www.socialist.net and if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.